welcome to the Launch University Podcast, turning good intentions into reality in your career, business, and life. Here's your host, David Farmer. Hey, Launch University listeners, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us again. Uh, Going to have fun. I am sitting here with one of my good friends and a guy I get to work with a day in and day out, Mr. Rodney Bullard. Rodney, thank you. David, it's an honor to be with you, my friend. Uh, quite frankly, this is a this is a joy. I have won the lottery today because I got on Rodney's schedule. <laughs> Maybe it's harder to get on Rodney's schedule than it is to win the lottery. But the man is busy. He was telling me earlier about what he's already done today and what he's got going on this evening. And I'm like, wow, how did I get wedged into that? I, this is awesome. Look here, we make time for, for the important people like David Farmer. Yeah, Rodney, tell everybody a little bit about what you do today, and then I'm going to go back in time and tell them a little bit about your story because I'm not sure you'll give it to him straight. So, Absolutely. Uh, well, I have the honor of working here at Chick-fil-A, and I work with David and a whole host of others on the marketing leadership team. But part of what we do is to uh, to work with folks around corporate social responsibility, and that's really helping to ensure that Chick-fil-A is a great citizen, uh, at least from the standpoint of giving, from the standpoint of environmental stewardship, and from the standpoint of community engagement. And uh, and it's an honor to do it. We work in communities like the west side of Atlanta, neighborhoods like Vine City, English Avenue, Grove Park. Uh, we get a chance to put on events uh, that really help children and help people in, in a host of ways. Yep, and Rodney, is, he didn't tell this. I don't know why not, but he's also my uh, travel workout partner as well. <laughs> I am. David is quite the taskmaster. No, I can always count on Rodney. Everybody else is going to flake out, but we're on the road, and it's time to – I mean, we get up early in the morning sometimes and walk across town to go find the gym. Yes, but. we do, my friend. We uh, we made lots of new friends, too. That's right. We've had a good time doing it. Um uh, I want to give you some of Rodney's background, but before I even do that, I want to tell you he has also written a book that came out just a couple of years ago called Heroes Wanted. I love the book. It's what we're going to dive into a little bit today because I think the message is so powerful. Um, but before we even get into that, let me tell you what I know about Rodney. Rodney grew up here in Atlanta. His father was a pastor here in Atlanta. His folks are still here. Uh, he ended up going to the Air Force Academy. Uh, played some football out there in Colorado at the Air Force Academy. Um, had an interest in law, which I think developed while you were in the Air Force. Is that correct? It actually developed at Miller Grove Junior High School. Oh. This has been its eighth grade class. Okay. She allowed us to uh, object to arguments that we were making, and uh, and I loved it. And then I did mock trial. And I was in mock trial, and I was a football player in high school. And okay. I chose the Air Force Academy because they had a mock trial team, and they had a good football team, and they were a leadership institution. And then you kind of went jag in the military? I did. So I went off to law school, and then after that I came back into the Air Force and served as a jag officer. Okay, so Rodney is very well educated. He went to uh, law school at Duke. I know he also said, hey, I'm going to jump into the business world. And he went to the University of Georgia's Terry College of Business, where he Go got dogs. an MBA up there. Go dogs! As we record this, the dogs are about to play Notre Dame, so <laughs> we're optimistic, but we'll see. We are By the optimistic. time you listen to this, we'll know the outcome. Yes. Um, uh, but Rodney was also a federal product prosecutor uh, here in Atlanta. And if you got some interesting stories you want to drop on us from that time, I, I know you'll tell me some every now and then. You yeah. <laughs> you have seen the best of, of, of people and the worst of people. Absolutely. But uh, came to Chick-fil-A how many years ago now? So it's been uh, seven years now. 
Yeah, and so many incredible things that Rodney has helped lead here. Uh, relationships we have um, with organizations like Junior Achievement, really taking a scholarship program to an unbelievable level where we're able to touch the lives of so many people that work in Chick-fil-A restaurants. And then this transformation project that's going on on the west side of Atlanta, you may want to reference as well. So uh, Rodney is unbelievably collect, uh, connected. You can go check him out on LinkedIn if you want. You kind of We all give up. We don't try to keep up with Rodney, but you can go see what I'm talking about. But Rodney, I want to, sh- I want to talk a little bit about um, what it means to be a difference maker. Yeah. And that can be in your work in your community, in your family? When I just throw that word out, what comes to mind? What's that mean to you? You know, I think of being a difference maker, and I think of leadership, and I think of this being our our obligation and our opportunity and our capacity to lead. And, you know, you referenced the book Heroes Wanted, Why the World Needs You to Live Your Heart Out. And the reason why I wrote the book is because I truly believe that each and every one of us can be a hero for someone else and that we have the ability and the responsibility to do that. But I also understand that many of us don't see ourselves as heroes. We don't see ourselves consequently as difference makers. Oftentimes we get into this rut of, well, if I only had more money, if I only had more time, if I only was in X, Y, and Z situation, then I could do something. If I only had more title. And the, the truth of the matter is, We can do so much in the place and the space that we're in. Um, I reference a story in the book uh, from a friend of mine by the name of Dr. Gregory Ellison. And Dr. Ellison is a professor of theology at the Emory School of Theology, the Candler School. And he tells this wonderful story that I love. He says that when he was six years old, he would uh, speak to his Aunt Dot and quiz her. And he said he loved Aunt Dot because she had a PhD and she was erudite and she was uh, always doing new things. And so one day he asked her, how do you change the world? And Aunt Dot was taken back because this was from the mouth of a young child. And, you know, that's a question that's still relevant for us today. How do you, how do you change the world in the midst of hurricanes in the Bahamas? shootings in Ohio and Texas? How do you change the world in the midst of poverty in almost every urban community? If I'm a child born into poverty in Atlanta, I only have a 4% chance of getting out. So how do you change the world is a relevant question for us, probably more relevant than it's ever been. Uh, And she said, Aunt Dot said, I don't know how you change the world, but I know you can impact the three feet around you. And for us to think about being a difference maker and the three feet that we have it really informs that all of us can make a difference and all of us can do something. And, and that difference might be finding a new way to do something on the job, might be introducing a new topic or a new idea on the job or being an entrepreneur. Or, or it might be seeing a neighborhood that's in need or a child that's in need and doing something for them. There's a difference that each and every one of us has. Uh, I, I'll dismount on this. In the book I talk about there's nine different C's that make up nine chapters within the book. Uh, two of the C's are calling and conviction. And, and and I compel your listeners to think about what pierces their heart. Hmm. What, what do they see? And it just, I gotta do something about that. Now sometimes it might not be a social issue. It might be, look, I work here at Chick-fil-A and there's a hospitality issue. I gotta do something about that. Yeah. I know that we can do better. Uh, but it also might be a social issue and it might be, the social issue that only you can do something about. 
Yeah, I want to ask you, when you think about your own calling, yeah. um, what do you think that is? And uh, maybe a second part of that question, what led you to take the time and devote all the energy and resources to put the book together in the first place? Mm. So uh, let's start with the second question. You know, I, I, I wrote the book because I saw what happens when we don't have heroes. Uh, I've seen what happens in the life of a child. Uh, you mentioned I was a federal prosecutor. My last case was a case of two young men uh, in Decatur, Georgia, who robbed a bank. And these two young men were under the age of 20, and I think, if I think back correctly, under the age of 19. Mm. But robbing a bank is a federal offense, and it carries with it a mandatory minimum of about 15 years. And so if you're convicted, you're going to spend a significant amount of time in jail. And these two young men had robbed this bank, and their getaway driver got spooked. And so when they came out, they didn't have a means to get away. And they saw this elderly lady coming out of the store, and they approached her. And they waited for her to get to her car. And instead of knocking her over the head, instead of pushing her down, they gently put her on the sidewalk, they gently took her bags, placed them next to her, and then they went for her car. And in the time it took for them to do all of that, they were arrested. Wow. And what, what strikes me about that story is that these kids had a strong kernel of good in them. They knew right from wrong. Now, clearly they were doing something illegal, but someone wasn't present. Someone wasn't there to give them guidance. That's evident. And so I've seen what happens when we don't have heroes in the lives of a child, what has happens when we don't have the heroes in the lives of communities like English Avenue, Vine City, or you name a city. Yeah. Um, and so that's important. Everybody's got a spot, a neighborhood, a community, a place that's in need. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, and so that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book and took the time to write the book. Uh, and you asked me, what what's my passion? My passion really is helping people. I think that to whom much is given, much is required, and that we have this obligation to connect and engage and build bridges and and really help our fellow person. Dr. King said that we are all interrelated, that we are all woven into this garment of life. What impacts one impacts us all. And I truly believe that. I've seen that uh, in my own life. Uh, I think you've seen it as well. Uh, and it doesn't have to be a big gesture of impacting people. It can be a smile. It can be a my pleasure. May I refresh your beverage? It can be just recognition. Uh, so passion for people is really uh, what what inspires me? So Rodney, if 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 I'm thinking, yeah, but I'm I'm, I'm at a place right now where I need to um, I need to just build my career. I yes. need to um, I need to gain experience. I need to build credibility. Uh, I need to establish myself, and then I'll get to that. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, I'll be more impactful. I'll have more to offer. Yes. What do you say to that? I think that. Two things come to mind. Success and significance are two sides of the same coin. And that as you build success, you have an obligation to build significance. But I've also found that if you are significant, you will be more successful. That people will appreciate you. They will gravitate towards you. Your work will be more meaningful. It will be more evident. Uh, And I remember a professor of mine in law school told me, he said, Rodney, I know that you want to do well but don't ever forget to do good. 
And if you do good and you do well at the same time, you'll be more successful than if you just do one or the other. And I think that can apply to any of us mm-hmm. in our work, right? That's right. If we think it's not just a, a, a matter of doing well, but it is doing good in whatever circumstance you find yourself in, yes. you will be more effective. Um, I think you'll ultimately uh, not just have the significance, but you'll be more successful as well. That's right. Rodney, give me one of your favorite examples from your own upbringing of somebody that was a hero to you in your life. Mm. My father has always been a hero to me. Uh, And what I love about my father is uh, he's not a perfect man. My father is a a minister, but but I've seen the imperfections in my father. But my father's love was always evident, unconditional. Uh, I've always appreciated that. I tell a story in the book that when I, I went off to the Air Force Academy, the first thing you do is you start basic training. And there are two parts to basic training, and one of the parts is in literally in the woods. Uh, and I remember that I looked up one morning, and my father's a big man who played for the Denver Broncos previously. And so I see this, this shadowy figure, and it looks like my father. And I'm like, it can't be my father. I'm in the woods in Colorado. My father's in Atlanta, <laughs> so it can't be him. But this, this figure is getting closer to me. And at some point, I realized that it is my father. And my father has a camcorder. Now, now David, you may remember what a camcorder oh, yeah. is. The, the, sh- <laughs> the kind you carry on your shoulder That's a right. bit. Yeah. <laughs> so he has a camcorder, and he's recording me. And he said, I just came to check on you. I said, well, how did you get in? He said, well, they weren't going to stop me because I was coming to see my child. Uh, and my father, that compassion he had for me also was evident in how he treated other people. Uh, he always had a collection of men around, and most of these men were down on their luck. These men were men that people would walk past, disregard, or might actually clutch their purse or their wallets. Um, but he treated everybody with respect. Uh, he knew all sorts of people, politicians, athletes, but he didn't show any type of favoritism between the haves and the have-nots. And that was a lesson that I still employ today. It doesn't matter whether you're the CEO or the secretary, you deserve the same amount of respect. Yeah. And so that's important in my daily walk. And I, you still see your dad as a hero even today, right? I do. I still see my dad as a hero today. He is still with us. So uh, I don't mean to speak in past tense uh, in, in that way, but uh, I still see him as a hero. And I still see him going out to communities that sometimes I would prefer he not be in late at night, but he's trying to help people. Yeah. Uh, and I appreciate that. Rodney, as I think about your career, um, it's been really interesting. I'm not sure you ever sat back and, and plotted out all these little <laughs> um, you know, twists and turns that yeah. have become um, the career thus far of Rodney Bullard. Um, how do you think you ended up where you are today? What do you th- what do you think's behind all that? Because mm. we, I, I ask that question because I think a lot of our listeners um, they're trying to figure out: Am I where I need to be? Do I That's need right. to be somewhere else? Do I need to make a bold move? Do I need to just kind of lock down where I am and continue to make a difference? That's right, uh, right here. So, I mean, you've had quite a path. You know, uh, I think that's a very relevant question. It's a question that I ask myself. But what I realized, the thread in my career and my life has been following my passions, following those things that really moved me at the time. Uh, 
I started, I went to the Air Force Academy because it moved me the notion of leadership, the notion of service, the notion of giving back in that way. The uh, the military was something that uh, was egalitarian and, and I was drawn to that. It, it stirred a passion in me. But I also had a passion for, for law and being in the courtroom and being a litigator and I wasn't gonna give up on that passion. And so that, that passion led me to law school. And, and then in law school, I realized that I had a passion for the courtroom, and I did enjoy that, but I also enjoyed leadership. I enjoyed people. Uh, and that led me to the courtroom, but also then into programs like the White House Fellowship, where I could learn about leadership a little bit more. And really, when I got to the U.S. Attorney's Office here in Atlanta, that was because uh, there was an opportunity to come back and serve the people of, of my hometown. And the way in which I could serve was through the court, but also the way in which we could serve was starting programs for the community, which we did. And uh, we were honored to be able to do that and given the opportunity to do that. Uh, I remember one of the programs we started, uh, it was for those who were returning citizens uh, who had been in jail. And the recidivism rate in some of our communities is as high as 75% within three years. Mm. And so, uh, but I had a sign-up sheet for the people who were coming back off of parole. And I remember so many people were walking past the sign-up sheet, and it perturbed me because I wanted them to sign up so we could have a good count of who was there and how many people were there. Uh, and then I asked why, and someone said, because they can't write, they can't read, and they're embarrassed. And so I had a number of people who were just embarrassed, and so that pricked my heart and so leading with our passion, so whatever your passion may be, Dan Cathy talks about his passion for business that was fostered at a young age and his recognition for it. Uh, you know, your passion for business and your passion for, for, um, for organization and, and leadership and strategy, that's evident. Whatever your passion is, I think we have to lead with those passions. One, because that's our God-given gift. And God gives you the desires of your heart, but He also expects you to to use them and to give you them back. Got to steward it. That's right. You got to steward it. And so um, I've learned just to let my passions be my guide. And if my passions are my guide, then I'll never work. Yeah, I, I love that. And that's we used to hear Truett talk about that, right? Yes. You can uh, almost never work another day in your life, but that's right. have an incredibly meaningful business career. That's right. All right, so if someone got to um, take a peek into Rodney Bullard's calendar and look at <laughs> all the leaders and difference makers uh, that you get to interact with over the course of a week or a month, it, it is, it's pretty incredible. So I would love for you to share some of the key kind of lessons or principles that you see from some of the best hmm. leaders, some of the most impactful difference makers, because, I mean, you're you're spending time with them. You're you're rubbing elbows uh, up against them, um, and if you want to reference specific examples, awesome. But at least, what are the principles that make somebody um, really effective in your view? I think the most effective leaders that I've seen understand that leadership, that the evidence of leadership, the hallmark of leadership, is how you make people feel in your presence. And the most effective people I've seen uh, make people feel valued, at ease, important, uh, 
President Clinton, and this is not to be political, but President Clinton is very good at this. I've seen him. He yeah. uh, he is good at that. He, he he will. You will feel like you're the only person that he is talking to, the only person in the world for that moment. Um, yeah, can I, can I tell a little story? Yeah, please. I was at an event, and it was a relatively um, small event. It might have been 100 or so people, and he was a speaker at this event, but he was on a very regimented schedule, mm. and there was someone speaking before him who did not finish on time, mm. and the event moderator had to get up and literally cut them off in mid-sentence to make way for former President Bill Clinton <laughs> to come and share. And when Clinton came out, the first thing he did was say, I am so sorry that you were interrupted because I was backstage listening and was fascinated yes. by what you had to say. And so the way he honored That's right. this guy who was embarrassed by what just happened, yes. I said, that's some serious emotional intelligence right there. That's right. That's right. It was impressive. It is impressive. You know, the word embarrassment, I've learned that embarrassment and leadership don't go together. That if you embarrass somebody, uh, if you shame somebody, it is really more evidence of your lack of leadership than whatever they did. And I've seen leaders who think that shame and embarrassment, particularly public shame and embarrassment, is a leadership quality and it's just not. They think they've earned the right to do that. That's right. They think they've got the power to do that. I love that word, Rodney, because yeah. that, that's such a great lesson. Yeah. I, that's good. Keep going. Uh, I, I've also seen that, that great leaders um, really focus and, and think about um, it's not about them, and, and it's not about them needing to be honored, but it's about the work. It's about some tangible result that they can drive towards and achieve. Uh, and I think that that, particularly in the context of making a difference, is important. At the end of the day, it's not about us being difference makers, but it's about the difference that we can make. And that oftentimes is a is a thin line that we can get lost in that. Uh, the difference that we try and make in the lives of children on the West Side is so important. And there are people who uh, who will applaud us for it, but this is what we should be doing. And there's never a time in which we should be applauded for something that we should be doing. Uh, and you can't allow the applause to get you off of the mission of the difference that we're actually trying to make. But if you make a difference on the job, if you make a difference in your community, if you make a difference in your family, then uh, then I truly believe that you'll be satisfied and I truly believe that you'll be a difference maker. Mm, that's good. All right, I'm going to shift a little bit. Uh, the book is entitled Heroes Wanted. Talk about some more heroes. I asked you, you know, yeah. who was one that was really meaningful to you growing up, but you've got great stories in here about, um, in some cases, heroes we have all heard of, yeah. and in other cases, some that um, we may not know about. That's right. Um, can you share some stories about some heroes and talk about um, what they did, how they did it, the principle that they're exemplifying um, that demonstrates, you know, how they were impactful. Yeah. I am particularly drawn to heroes that overcome something, that overcome some controversy, overcome doubt, uh, particularly public doubt. I'm a big fan of Abraham Lincoln, consequently. 
Uh, President Lincoln, uh, if you look back and read his writings, was one of the most literate presidents that we've ever had. But President Lincoln didn't go to law school. He didn't go to college. And at the time, because he didn't have education, the, the country said that he was dumb. President Lincoln had the ignominious task of trying to hold together a union that didn't want to be held together and going through a civil war uh, and trying to figure that out and trying to figure out this, this stain of slavery and, and wrestling with that. And he did all of this at a time in which, you know, people jeered at him uh, and it didn't look like it was going to work out. And we always have the benefit of hindsight and it seems easier because we are looking back. But it was truly a tumultuous time. And I think about how Lincoln handled that. And he talked about in one of his speeches, the better angels of our mercy. Uh, and I, I think that, you know, one prose like that is amazing, but two, how he used that in his work. And he was a great compromiser. Uh, if I do get an opportunity to write another book, it will be Heroes Wanted, Bridges Needed. Because mm. uh, Lincoln built bridges because he had to. He built bridges because it was the right thing to do. He built bridges because he needed uh, and the country needed it. And so I appreciate Lincoln in so many different ways. Uh, I also appreciate Rosa Parks. I mentioned her earlier. Uh, Rosa Parks was, was a seamstress in 1955, and on December 1st, 1955, she boarded a bus that she took on a regular basis. And she saw the bus driver that she had seen before. And on that day, she was asked to get out of her seat because it was raining outside and more people were taking the bus than typical. And Rosa Parks didn't have any of the trappings that we have today. Yeah, I don't care how difficult your life is. We don't live in the situations that Rosa Parks found herself in and the limitations that were placed upon her. And what makes me think, what I think about when I think about Rosa Parks is that what is our excuse? Yeah. Because if she could make such a difference just by sitting in her seat and refusing to give up, and the courage that it takes. Yeah. So the courage that Lincoln had, the courage that Rosa Parks had, neither one of them knew what the future looked like. Rosa Parks knew she was going to be arrested, but what did arrest actually mean? She surely wasn't thinking it meant a boycott. She surely didn't think it meant a movement. She didn't think it would change this country. Uh, but all those things rippled, and so many people came to, to effect because of it. Uh, and that's important that we have courage in our convictions, courage to do the right thing, because it's easy when we don't know what the future looks like to to talk ourselves out of being a difference maker. Yeah, I, you know, in her case, I don't have the power. That's right. I don't have the material resources. That's right. But I have the character. That's right. I have, right. Uh, I'm principled. Mm -hmm. I have values that I believe strongly in. Yes. Um, and she takes advantage of an opportunity just to live it out. Yes. And you, you just never know what kind of impact that'll make. That's right. Rosa Parks said this, and then I'll, I'll move on. She said, she said, I hate the pictures of me. They make me look old. Uh, she said, I was only 42 years old. She said, I wasn't old and I wasn't tired. She said, I didn't refuse to give up my seat because I was tired. She said, I refused to give up my seat because I refused to give in to a system that I knew to be wrong. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's an important 
notion for all of us to carry. Well, I want to I'll, I'll throw one more question out there as we kind of wrap up our time together. The, the concept of being really intentional mm-hmm. about how you can make a difference and seizing on an opportunity. Mm. Sort of two different paths, almost two different strategies. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? How in, do you just kind of wait till it, it it comes your way, or um, is it important you think for our listeners to always be thinking, always be planning, really kind of be strategic about uh, how they can make a difference? Yes. You you see a lot of folks that are doing it. What what? How do you read that? I think flexible planning is the most important thing that you can do. And you see this in startups, you see this in launches, yeah. uh, where you have a plan, but then at some point you see an opportunity and you pivot. Yep. And your plan is flexible, but even more so your mindset is flexible enough yeah. to where you are able to pivot and see an opportunity and take advantage of it. And sometimes, at least in my own life, I have thought that to be God really ordering my steps and coming to understand that even though I have these plans, he's going to order my steps in the way in which he wants them ordered. But getting up and walking down the path, getting up and being intentional about a plan is the manner in which you find these nuggets along the way, you find these opportunities along the way. You don't find them by not planning. You don't find them by not getting up and being intentional and moving. And so I, I really do believe that there's a middle ground of tension between the two. Yeah, we're doing a lot of um, significant project work these days where there is a longer term plan, but we're using an agile methodology mm-hmm. where we, in some cases, there may be a stand-up meeting conversation 15 minutes every day and a weekly review, and we course mm-hmm. correct constantly. Yes. Because no matter how good we are at planning, we're not going to get it all right on the front end. That's right. So you you just used the word mindset in your response. I would love for our listeners to just go back and think about mindset. Yes. Um, you referenced um, just motivation early on. Um, what is uh, your intention? What's your motivation? And where are the opportunities around you to make a difference? I would love for folks to think about how can I lean into that yes. and, and plan towards it, but then react um, when the right opportunity comes along. That's right. That's right. How do you use your three feet? Uh, really is the... That three feet around you referenced. That's right. That's right. How do you use it? Uh, and, and are you noticing and keeping your eyes open and being available to that? Well, um, I'm going to give you one last question, and then we really will cl- um, wrap up. Um, you're involved in so many different projects and initiatives, uh, really around uh, bringing about positive change, making a difference. Share one that you're super passionate about right now, something mm-hmm. you don't know how it's going to end, yeah. but you're leaning into it because you feel called to do so. Um, but where's a where's a place where you're, uh, you know, you're trying to, to just step up and make a difference right now? Yeah. Uh, there are a number of things that I'm really excited about, and so I'm, I'm racking my brain a little bit to, to choose one. You know, right now it hasn't gotten that much attention, but I'm really excited about this accelerator, the social impact accelerator program that we're putting together. I'm, I'm, I'm big on economic and social mobility because when I think about the lack of economic and social mobility, I think that it really is the origin of so many of our issues societally. That 
a lack of education comes from op, op, oftentimes a lack of education is found in poor communities. Crime is found in poor communities. Um, and so this accelerator is helping nonprofits, people who are difference makers, make a bigger difference. Because I see in many communities of, of, of lack or less than as far as opportunities, I see people trying to make a difference, but they're only using the resources that they have around them. And it's scant. And they're only using the experience that they have. And it's, it's not the experience that others might have elsewhere. And so how can we bring resources to bear so that they can be better, be greater, be more impactful in what they're doing and so that they can truly make a difference. There's oftentimes a fallacy that, you know, we're going to go into a community and we're going to be the saviors of the community. Well, frankly, there have been people who've been working there for years doing wonderful work. They just aren't doing it at scale. They aren't doing it with resource. And so if we can help them and we can imbue their passion, then really we might be able to make a great difference just by arming the people who are already there and equipping them. And so I'm excited about that. Man, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to share. Um, I am so fortunate that I get to just be around you and hang out with you, and I'm a better leader. I'm just a better person as a result of it. Um, and I'm glad that our listeners are getting at least a little taste through uh, you sharing today. Well, I, I'm honored to be here, and the truth of the matter is I, I learn from you every day. Uh, I <laughs> oh. take notes, and that's, that's truly uh, my honor to be able to do that. So thank you. Yeah, if you um, if you really want uh, to be inspired, pick up Rodney's book, Hero, Heroes Wanted. And I'll tell you this too, it's in you can get it via audio version. So sometimes I work out with Rodney, but I went with a stretch where I just had Rodney speaking into my ear uh, for a couple of weeks on end while I listened to the book while I was working out. You can take Rodney to the gym. <laughs> And you'll get respected if you do that. <laughs> there so you go, my friend. Check out Heroes Wanted by Rodney Bullard. Rodney, thanks so much Thank uh, you. for taking the time to share. And just appreciate so much each of you that are listening. Um, hope that you'll invite someone else to do the same. Just tell them about the podcast and uh, show them how to find it, even on their podcast app. Uh, but we appreciate all that you guys are doing to grow, to learn, to be um, in a position of, of, of impact in your own organization. So, again, thanks for joining the Launch University podcast today. Thanks for listening to the Launch University podcast. We hope it's helped you move from go-getter to difference maker. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. For more helpful resources, visit launchuniversity.com.